Let me ask us this question this morning as we begin to open God's Word. Uh, what season do you feel like it is? What season is? That's rhetorical. I'm not asking for your participation this morning, but uh, okay, I got some participation. You can't contain this crowd. Uh, definitely feels like summer, okay? Had a little, little bit of a hiatus, a little let up from the temperatures this week. There was a couple days that was really nice, wasn't it? But uh, what season are we in? Uh, summertime, many of you are thinking football season. We're in a football, you're waiting, right? Uh, college game day, NFL season, here we are upon, upon us. There's a season that most of us, many of uh, even if you don't have kids, you realize that we're also in a season of back to school, right? We're in kind of a back to school season. And uh, we have been at our house uh, as well. And I've noticed that as I go into Walgreens or Walmart or Target and all these things, it's obvious that it's back-to-school season because there's sales and everything for back-to-school supplies is out and discounted and ready for you to buy, right? And this idea that it's uh, back-to-school season got me thinking about how we prepare for back-to-school, right? How we, uh, particularly when we were younger, we went and got our new back-to-school wardrobe, right? Because on the first day of school, you can't just show up and what you had on at the end of last year. You've got to show up with some new, some new threads, right? And of course, you know, you need the brand new, you know, slick trapper keeper. Oh, wait a second. That, that was 40 years ago. Never mind. But uh, maybe you got a new backpack. Maybe you've got to get some new folders. Um, most students now are back to school. Some college folks are starting next week. Um, my older two have started back to school. Um, the youngest, though, Truett, our three-year-old, this Wednesday has, guess what? Meet the teacher night for Kids World Preschool. Some of you don't know, we have a preschool that meets uh, during the school year around here. It's called Kids World. Our director is Lori Andrews, not with us this morning, but it's a wonderful preschool, and my kids have had the privilege of going to Kids World the last however many years, and they love it. So on Wednesday night, we'll gather little Truett, and he'll meet some of his other friends in his new class, and I'll meet Miss Tab, his new threes teacher, and we'll have to make sure that we have his backpack for him, right? In fact, he put it on yesterday because he's so excited about going back to school. And we'll have to make sure that he has the, the proper sippy cup, right? Maybe an extra change of clothes for his backpack, things like that. When you go back to school... You need back-to-school supplies. You need things that you'll need to learn, right? Well, Jesus has called us and called his first followers disciples. And a simple, basic definition of the word disciple is what? Student or learner. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a student of Jesus. You are following the teacher they called him in that day the rabbi, Jesus. And so we are enrolled in the school, in the way of Jesus as his followers. And so this whole idea of back to school season got me thinking lately about a little verse in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse, 12, verse 7, excuse me. 
uh, where Paul gives us, uh, well, he gives us several verses, but there's four words that just stand out to me, okay? And those words in verse 7 are, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, okay, quickly here. Uh, But we're going to look at some training tools for walking with Jesus, okay? So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to 1 Timothy 4 with me. And uh, my goal this morning is simply to offer you uh, four tools, four specific tools, and hope that you will embrace at least two or three of them, okay, as kind of school of Jesus kind of tools, all right? You'll embrace two or three of these tools that I'm going to recommend to you. So, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I want us to read verses 6 through 8, okay? And then we'll just focus on those four words that I mentioned just a second ago, okay? So, this will be on the screen. Why don't you actually read it aloud with me, okay? Read this aloud with me. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if if we look at this this morning, and uh, let us just say that phrase together that I want us to emphasize, those four words together, okay? Train yourself for godliness. Say that with me, okay? Train yourself for godliness. And each, each of those four words is pretty packed, okay? Train and yourself, okay? Certainly we can train other people, but Paul's emphasis here to Timothy is go into boot camp yourself. Figure out your training rhythm, your training needs, your training power, and train yourself for what? For a purpose, for godliness. And let me just point out a few things here um, about this injunction, about this admonition from Paul, okay? Uh, First thing is, notice that we don't fall into godliness, or we don't drift into godliness. You don't just kind of naturally grow more godly. That's the implication of what Paul is saying here. You don't just wake up and you find yourself, hey, I'm holier today than I was, you know, yesterday or two years ago or five years ago. You don't naturally grow into godliness. What you naturally do as a human being and as a spiritual person is you naturally grow old, okay? That happens with no effort on your part, on my part. I find it happening to me. In fact, these readers, some of you have noticed, okay, it's time to up the prescription lately, I've noticed, like, okay, up to 2.0. But, you know, thank you, John. You laughed a little too loud on that. Um, (laughs) But we don't naturally grow godly. We naturally grow old. We naturally decay. We naturally go to the lowest common denominator, denominator, easy for me to say. And notice also that the prescription here is not to try to be godly, 
but to train yourself to be godly. There's a big difference between trying and training. You know that? There's a big difference between trying something and training for something. So the illustration that immediately pops into my mind is, hey, let's all go run a marathon, okay? Now, I could go out and try to run a marathon tomorrow, but bets are I'm not going to get very far, okay? I could just go try and do that. Yesterday, was it yesterday or Friday, John Watkins, the one that's laughing about me, about getting older out here, I'm going to pick on him now. Uh, John went out to Wichita Falls to do this hotter than hell, can I say that in church? Hotter than hell bike race. I imagine, though John being the specimen that he is, this may not apply to him, but I imagine he did some training before he showed up in Wichita Falls for the hotter than blank uh, race. You can try something and not be ready for it, or you can train for something and grow to where you at first are unable to do it, but by training and by discipline, you can eventually get to a place where you can do more than you did without training, right? Paul doesn't say try to be godly. That's important. He says train yourself to be godly. In fact, that word train in the ESV shows up three times in these three verses that we read. Verse 6, verse 7, and verse 8. Now, the first verse, verse 6, it's actually a different word translated than the, the, the second two words that occur, train. The word train in verse 7 and verse 8 in the Greek sounds like this, gymnasio. Does that sound like any word that you may remember? Yeah, gymnasium. That's what they called them back when I was a kid, the gymnasium. And you would go to the gym not only to watch people play basketball, you, but you would, you would go to the, the gym to train. And out of this kind of Greco-Roman Olympic atmosphere, Paul is applying this gymnastics word, this word of training, to the spiritual life. In fact, he goes on to say, hey, physical training, wrestling, which they did a lot of back then, running, this physical training, biking, is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Now, there have been seasons in my life where I interpreted Paul's words there. Physical training has of some value. I interpreted that to say physical training has no value. That's the way I wanted it to read, right? Godliness is what matters. I've become convinced that physical training is of some value, all right? Some of us need to hear that. Others of us need to hear that physical training is not of ultimate value, but it is of some value. But godliness is worth training for because we don't just fall in, we don't just drift into holiness. It has to have some purpose and some intention. In fact, if you think about the word training, the word training and the concept of training implies some things, doesn't it? Training implies desire, effort. Training implies some tools, Training implies some coaching, a regimen, discipline, some consistency. And thus, Paul very specifically uses this word, he uses this concept of training. Now, on balance, it's not all up to us, right? A couple weeks ago, I used an illustration that I'll repeat briefly this morning. Uh, the spiritual life and pursuing godliness uh, is not a rowboat exercise. You remember this, some of you that were here? 
I talked about three different kind of word pictures for the spiritual life. One of them was the Christian raft, one of them was the Christian rowboat, and one of them was a sailboat. I said the, the journey of following Jesus is not a raft that you just lay on and float around. We went down to San Antonio a couple weeks ago, and they had a lazy river where we were. I like the lazy river. It's nice. It's relaxing. The Christian life is not a raft. It's not a lazy river. But it's also not a rowboat. So don't get the wrong impression that the training for godliness is just you working at it, and the amount of work that you put in it relates to what comes out on the other side. There's more than just this verse. But we said the best concept is this idea of the sailboat. And what do you do on the sailboat? I have no idea, actually. But I know you do some things, and you raise the sail. How that happens, I'm not sure. But you raise the sail, but then you are ultimately dependent upon the wind, upon the spirit to move the sailboat, right? So it is both active as well as dependent, right? Active dependence. You're raising the sail, you're being active, you're training, you're doing something, but you're also ultimately very dependent upon the wind to move the sail, okay? Nevertheless, Paul's emphasis here is training, intention. So here's the goal of this message, okay? I want to offer us this morning in this back-to-school season four practical tools for training. Four things that all of us need to kind of have in our backpack as followers of Jesus, okay? Reliable, good Solid training tools. Now, before I introduce you to these four tools, okay, let me say one caveat. What's our main tool? Right here, right? You're not going anywhere without the Word of God, the people of God, the Spirit of God working in you, okay? So the tools that I'm sharing with you this morning, these recommended, reliable, trustworthy tools accent how we get in God's Word, okay? They don't replace this, okay? Nothing replaces God's Word. Nothing sits in judgment upon God's Word. God's Word sits in judgment on everything else. Nevertheless, these things that I want to recommend to you for back-to-school supplies, uh, I think will help you in God's Word, okay? So you excited? You ready for this? You taking notes? This is on the CC app too. So let's open up the backpack here, and let me show you what I got for us today. Four things, okay? Recommended tool number one, this is called the Jesus Storybook Bible, okay? The Jesus Storybook Bible, and there are links to this on the sermon notes in our CC app, okay? Now, some of you right now, I've lost you because you think, that looks like a kid's Bible, and I don't have kids. Or maybe that's, that's cute, I'll get that, and I'll read that with the grandkids, right, Doug? That's what you're thinking. Do you already have it? You Have them read it to you, <laughs> Doug is ready for the lazy river. Uh, Doug, I want you to go out and I want you to buy this at the Connection Center for $5 today. Okay, you can find it on Amazon, this version, for $8. That's a deal. We'll give it to you for 5 Okay, there's just four copies out there. Go and get them fast. And this is one of them, so you can tackle me afterwards. This is not just for your kids. I don't care if you have kids or not. You need this Bible. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because this Bible not only is beautifully illustrated, but it does a beautiful job of telling you how the Bible points 
to Jesus, whom the story is about. So let me just read you. This is the introduction page, okay? Let me just read to you briefly from the introduction, and I encourage you. This, this is also, this is going to sound a little bit like an advertisement this morning, okay? Just deal with it. I don't do this all the time. All right, give me grace. Uh, there's also videos, DVDs for your kids of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Hunts, do you guys have this one? Proud of you. Brownie points. Um, listen just to one page of the introduction of this Bible, okay? It's a large print, and I still need these. Uh, it talks on the previous page about how some people think the Bible is a book of rules or a book about a bunch of heroes. And it goes on on this page. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about, the, about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. Let me read that sentence again. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle. The piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly, you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. Now, what this Bible does so beautifully is show us how every story in the Bible whispers the name of Jesus, or in other words, points to the person and the work of Jesus. And I'm telling you, even you old people among us, and I, including myself here, are going to read this. I went to seminary. Okay, I have a degree in the Bible, and I read this sometimes, and I'm like, ah, that's beautiful the way that story points to Jesus and the way they bring it out in this Bible, okay? The Jesus Storybook Bible, and you can read this by yourself, or you can read this with your family, and I believe it's reliable, and it will be helpful for you in your following of Jesus and growing in godliness, okay? The Jesus Storybook Bible. Tool number two, some of you have heard me mention this one before as well. This is called the New City Catechism, okay? The New City Catechism. Now, if the Jesus Storybook Bible teaches us about the centrality of Jesus in the Bible, the New City Catechism is wonderful for helping us get the biblical doctrine of the Bible, the theology and the richness of what the Bible is teaching us about God, ourselves, about sin, about the coming again of Jesus. This is called the New City Catechism. Now, if I lost some of you on the first one because it's a kid's Bible, I've lost some of you on the second one because it has this word called catechism in it. 
And you may think that's like something you hack up or, you know, that was something that you heard, you know, when you were Lutheran or Roman Catholic or something that has nothing to do within a, a, you know, a Bible-believing, you know, good old Bible church or something. Catechesis is a fancy word for saying teaching. And for hundreds of years, Christians have used catechesis as a question and answer format to teach not only children but adults what the Bible teaches, okay? So there are 52, get it, 52, so you can do this, 52 questions and answers that you just read through here, and it gives you a question, and then the answer to the question, and then a Bible verse, and it also gives you a prayer and some commentary, time out. Not only can you buy this for five bucks today, but better than that, and I'm a snob, I like books, I like things in my hands, you can also get it on your phone, which I have. You can get it on your phone for free. And on the phone app, it gives you the question, the answer, the commentary, a prayer, a song that you or your kids can learn that repeats the question and answer, okay, so that your kids and you are learning these wonderful truths. Let me show you what question number one is, and if you grew up in a Lutheran church or maybe a Presbyterian church and you did the Westminster Catechism or something, you might be familiar with this question that says, what is our only hope in life and death? Anybody know the answer from the good old days? Okay. That we are not our own, but that we belong body and soul, anybody, to, to our Savior, Jesus Christ. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong to God. That's the kid's version, okay? And each question has an adult version, which is long, and it has a kid version, which is the one I do, okay? What is our only hope in life and death? That we're not our own, but belong to God. That's the very first question. It goes on to talk about things about God, about things about humanity, talk about things about when Jesus returns, what salvation is, the Lord's Prayer. Now, I have a really great example of this on the screen. It's kind of hard to watch today because we couldn't get it vertically, so it looks you're going to have to look like this. But check out this wonderful example. Oops, audio. Can you, can you start it over, David? How and why did God create us? He created us male and female to glorify him with his own image. God created us male and female. God created us male and female. In his own image. In his own image to glorify him. Good. Nailed it. What else did God create? What else did God create? He created all things with his powerful word. It was. And all his creation. And all his creation was good. Very good. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. What was the question? 
How did God? <laughs> how did God create us? How and why did God create us? Sorry, I'm the slacker in the family. How and why did God create us? God created us, male and female, in His image, so that we might glorify God. <laughs> Didn't nail it. How important is that truth to put in the hearts and minds of our little kids? He created us male and female in his image that we might glorify him. For hundreds of years, this has been a tool to get the truth massaged in little hearts, in big hearts, to where when we grow up and we have reasoning skills, it's, it's implanted. It's been not just absorbed, memorized some of you are thinking about this like, that's kind of like, isn't that kind of like indoctrinating your kids? Yep. Yep. And let me tell you this. The world is discipling our kids. So if we're not discipling our kids, they'll be discipled. They just won't be discipled by us, and they just won't be discipled in the truth. So someone's going to teach us what it means to be created as a human. And we can go back to the Bible and to historical catechism and say God created us male and female in his image that we might glorify him. Or we can learn some other version of that. The New City Catechism, yours for free on an app. Or if you're like me and you like art, but there's actually more on the app than there is here. I got to move and scoot, Okay. Resource number three. We can keep watching that if you want. I mean, I, I, I watched it probably four times as I was uploading it. I, like, I couldn't, you know. Uh, this, what I'm, what I'm holding here is uh, a DVD package, but you don't actually have to buy the DVD. Okay, let me recommend the Bible Project. You just go to their website, okay, or find them on YouTube or, or Vimeo. The Bible Project, okay, if the Jesus Storybook Bible gives you how Jesus appears in all of the Bible, and the New City Catechism gives you the wonderful Bible-directed doctrine, the Bible Project shows you how the Bible all fits together and the various themes in each book of the Bible. So, this resource, okay, if you're, you're studying by yourself, uh, you're studying a small group, uh, go to the Bible Project, and they have all these wonderfully artistic videos, well done, excellent created videos that give you an overview of the book or the theme that you're talking about. Want to know what Messiah means? They got a video on it. Want to know what the Gospel of Mark is about? They got a video on it. Want to know what the last days means? They got a video on it. Want to know, um, well, they got all these videos. And their specialty is the books of the Bible. So, guess what? We're going to start a series after Labor Day, in the book of First Peter. It's going to be our sermon series through the fall. You can go to the Bible Project, and you can watch this five-minute video that gives you a wonderful overview of the book of First Peter. And what they also do for each book of the Bible is not only do they give you the video, but you can download the outline, the artistic outline of the whole book. This is, this is the book of First Peter, illustrated, outlined on one piece of paper. They have this for, I think, all 66 books of the Bible. They don't have it yet. They're working on it. The Bible Project. Wonderfully creative resource. Do I have the time to show the video? 
Okay, we'll try it. Yeah. I was reading the Bible, which, you know, is kind of hard to do, but I came across this verse that says, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching. Yeah, this is in Paul's letter to Timothy, who's a young pastor, and he's telling him about ways that he can keep his church community engaged with scripture. Okay, so preaching the Bible, I get. Teaching from the Bible, I get that too. But what about this reading scripture together thing? Is that something I'm supposed to care about? Why did Paul think it was so important? Oh man, for Paul, this was a really significant practice for the people of God. Think all the way back to Mount Sinai, where the Israelites were just rescued from Egypt. They're no longer slaves, and they need a new identity, a new story to live by. And so Moses, he gathers the people together, and he reads the scriptures aloud. He reminds them of where they came from, who they are, and the new future that they're called to live for. This was the first public reading of scripture in the Bible. Yeah, and it didn't stop there. When the people finally got into the land, they did it again. Joshua pulled the people together, and they all listened to the scriptures read aloud so they could remember where they came from and how they could keep living as a part of this new story. So this is something they did all the time then? Well, actually, no. After Joshua died, we don't have any more stories of the people coming together to hear God's word. Instead, the people forgot their story and a whole generation arose that didn't know their God or what God had done for them. But then, centuries later, a king named Josiah rediscovered the scriptures, and he was so excited that he called Israel to begin this practice once again. It sparked a renewal movement. That is, until the people forgot once more, and they ended up in exile. And so this is why, when Ezra and Nehemiah came back from the exile, they needed to remind the people who they are and how they are to live. So this is a powerful practice. Yeah, in fact, reading scripture together became a core part of Jewish life. It was done every week as they gathered in synagogue. Jesus himself participated in this practice. He even launched his mission during the weekly reading of the scriptures. He read from the scroll of Isaiah, and then he told everyone these words were about him. And that brings us all the way back to the early church where Paul told Timothy to keep this practice going to immerse the whole community in the story of the scriptures. Okay, but here's the thing. Most people back then didn't know how to read, so they had to do it publicly. But I can read the Bible by myself. Yeah, and you should totally do that. But don't underestimate the power of this ancient practice. Reading the Bible by yourself can be hard. It can be easy to get distracted, but something happens when you hear God's word read aloud and when you're with other people. And besides, it's really easy. You don't need anyone to preach or teach. You just need to listen to the scriptures and then talk about what you've heard. This is what God's people have always done when they enter into new and uncertain times. They remember their story and who they are through the public reading of the scriptures. One thing I didn't mention, I think it was on the screen, but not only can you go to the Bible Project website and YouTube and all that stuff, but they also have an app. It's called Read Scripture, so it's, you've got to look it up by that title, Read Scripture, but it gives you a Bible reading plan, and then as you go through that Bible reading plan, it inserts, hey, here's the video you need to watch for that particular passage, okay? So let me, let me wrap up here with one other thing and, and close, okay? We live in 2019 in an area... Uh, time where we have kind of an embarrassment of riches in terms of good quality helps to get in the scriptures, okay? These are ones we recommend. There are some out there, if you, even if you go in Christian bookstores, there's some stuff out there that just wouldn't recommend it, okay? But these are four things that I think you can 
use with confidence, knowing uh, that your elders have said these are reliable stuff, quality stuff that have been produced, okay? Those are kind of out there uh, through publishers and writers that we have faith and confidence in. Uh, one more, a little closer to home, okay? Some of you saw this last week. Jay Wheeland, our children's director, launched this last week that we've, we've borrowed uh, from another church in Louisville, Kentucky. But this semester, and we hope to keep this ongoing, but parents, uh, if you didn't get one of these last week, this is our family devotional guide that follows along that follows along what we're doing on Sunday mornings with our kids, okay? So if you didn't get one last week, they're out at the Connection Center, okay? It's also the lesson each week is emailed out electronically after church, okay? If you don't get those, then again, you need to contact us so we can make sure you're getting our emails, okay? But if you like the hard copy, uh, grab this out at the Connection Center. So here's the... Here's the wonderful thing about this. Some of us don't feel confident leading our kids in devotions or whatever. This is your help. This is your tutor. It gives you uh, opportunities or it gives you suggestions for drive time, for dinner time, for breakfast time, for bedtime, okay? Things that you can talk about that they already heard in the lesson to help you pray and have those conversations as a family, okay? You don't have to do all of them, but it's suggestions, okay, of things where you can take not only what they're hearing on Sunday mornings, but take that throughout the week. Because at the end of the day, guess what? Who's responsible to disciple your kids? Not Jay. Not the teachers that are back there. You. Me. We're responsible to disciple our kids. And this is one more tool, okay, to help you do that, to train your children to be trained yourself. Amen? So here's the, here's the question. Which one or two will you grab onto? If you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? Do you have a plan? Do you have tools? As you start back, the fall is a good time to start back. Your Bible reading things, your studies, whatever. Which one of the two of those might you grab onto this morning, okay? And use it. Train yourself for godliness. Say it with me again. Train yourself for godliness. Pray with me. Father God, may your spirit help us as we are tugged to and fro from the world by our own flesh and the schemes of the evil one, by the temptations of the world. Would you help us to get to the gym? Would you help us to train for godliness, to know you, God, through your holy word, to be equipped to give a defense for the hope that is within us, to be able to disciple not only those in our home, but those within our spheres of influence as disciple makers in this lost and dark and hurting world. God, work in our hearts, work through our hearts to minister to others. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray.